Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Every once in a while, we get to talk to somebody who has just made their first feature film. And it's always worthwhile to hear about that process, making the jump to features, especially right out of film school and with shorts. So my guest today, Matthew Gentile here on the No Film School podcast, is talking to me about how he got this feature film made. He had been at AFI, he had made some shorts, he had gotten some attention, but like so many other filmmakers... He was trying to make that jump to features. What was the story that grabbed him? How did he focus on it? How did he get it all going and put it together and actually make it, get it out in the world and have the names attached that he does? And we also talked to his editor a little bit about their process and some of the help they got. So I'm George Edelman, editor-in-chief at No Film School and host of the No Film School podcast, which is what this is. And here we go, Matthew Gentile and American Murderer. I think what I want to start with with you is just how you got, you made a bunch of shorts, right? But how did you get the opportunity to make a feature film? How did you create that opportunity for yourself? It's a huge jump for anybody to be, to make, to be like, this is going to be my feature film and get financing and get it done. And for our audience, I don't think there's a single more fascinating topic, really. For sure. Yeah, no, I'm happy to get into that. And thank you for having me, George. I love this podcast. It's so exciting to be on it. So, you know, for me, you know, getting, you know, I think for every director, screenwriter, filmmaker, really, we could just call ourselves, right? Filmmakers, that, you know, they're yes. storytellers. You know, the hard first jump is how do you get your first feature? It seems like, especially for a director, because there's a lot of successful screenwriters, extremely successful and talented ones who for the first 10 years of their career don't have a produced credit, right? But they're like writing around town, they're on the blacklist multiple times or whatnot. So it's interesting how screenwriting and directing differ in that way because for a director, really, it becomes about your first move. As you pointed out, I uh, made a lot of short films. I, in spite of loving this podcast very deeply, I did go to film school. Uh, but I know- <laughs> Me too. Most of our oh. guests have, most of our staff has, don't worry. <laughs> Uh, every time, every person I talk to when I come on this podcast, they're like, but you went to film school. I'm like, I, I know, but it's the best podcast. <laughs> and they're understanding that. But yeah, no, so I went to film school day. If I graduated, you know, five or six, uh, six, seven years ago. And I, you know, was struggling to figure out my way, like everybody who graduates film school, you know, and um, I was lucky to go to AFI. I met amazing collaborators there who worked with me, some of whom were, were on this feature film, my cinematographer, my editor. So I, may, I met this incredible network. I had made a lot of shorts. I felt pretty experienced, but I couldn't really find my way towards the right first feature vehicle. And I think that that's something that's really important and constantly changing because it's like everyone kind of knows as a director, you have to make your first feature, right? Like, like it's a rite of passage, you know, that you have to go through, 
right, to get into a directing. And, and in my case, you know, I wrote it too. So a directing and screenwriting career. But I was kind of, you know, I graduated AFI 2016. I had two shorts under my belt that were doing quite well for me, opening up a lot of doors. They were called Frontman and Lawman. One of them won the Student Emmy for Best Directing. The other played 100 festivals and, you know, really was kind of getting my name out there, getting me lots of meetings. I had my first whiff of what they called the water bottle tour, where I was meeting at a lot of different companies and agencies and people who were really interested in my work. And I just real quick, like like Lawman, for example, Lance Reddick was in it. Like, so you, you, you know, this is a short, was this made, this wasn't made at AFI. Was it post AFI or during? It was at AFI. Wow. But what happened was Frontman was my, my thesis that I graduated. Okay. And I graduated that movie. It did really well in the, in the circuit and with the awards. So AFI actually did a rare thing where they invited me back to direct a second thesis because someone the year below me had dropped out. And so they hired me to replace that director and work with that team because something unique about AFI from other films, some are like this, but AFI actually has, you know, you come in with a specific track. It's a gra- yeah. It was a graphic school that I did. And, you know, you have directing, screenwriting, producing, production design, screenwriting and you, you, know, you, you have to pick a lane and stick to it you can't kind of like go back and try this one or that one so you form teams based around majors so every movie is made by like a directing student a writing student a production designer, some photographer and you kind of like all it's you know you guys are making the movie together so when that they director get, dropped out it wasn't like they could just make the dp direct it or something they were like we need a director for everyone direct- else here to get through this project yeah, i see exactly and you know yeah. and you know how it is it's not often when you're in these, you know, early years of your career that like people are running you scripts to direct. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty unique. So you're begging, borrowing and stealing to get your shots to direct. And so for me, here came this vehicle that the cinematographer, Khalila Robinson, who became my cinematographer on American Murderer, needed a director because it was a story that she had really wanted to tell. She got her, her script had gotten greenlit and it was her project and her baby. And so she brought me in to direct it. And that started an incredible collaboration between the two of us. And we've worked together ever since. But so I did Lawman, and yes, I was very lucky to get Lance Reddick. I, uh, you know, and as you pointed out, he's not someone who normally does a student film. He's a very experienced, and he's even, you know, been doing more and more incredible work. It's hard to last- call this a student film. It's a period. <laughs> it's a western. It's got a pretty significant name in it. Yeah, like <laughs> western. Yeah, we had action in it. It was crazy production but it was a really it was it, it's based on a true story also um bass reeves about, yeah yeah bass reeves you know which is a story now that's being uh, they're doing that now as a tv show i have my reps trying to get me on it <laughs> but nice. you know yeah it's um it's yeah it's, it's a really incredible story and it was just a an opportunity that you know i didn't really i didn't even really heard of that happening in AFI. i think maybe yeah that's pretty I, unique but so history. after that you still have even even after that, then was American Murder kind of like this is going to be, you know, like another short, like it, like you're going along here and you're making short and it's like as successful as a short can be, right? There's a there's a ceiling it almost feels like, right? But exactly. then you were like, I got to do another short because I that's how I'll get my feature. Well, so what it kind of it's an interesting path. So what happened was I finished Law Man, I'm kicking it around, I'm having the meetings, you know, and now it's like, okay, what is your first feature for real? Right. Like I had a front man, I had the tour, I had the people ask me, what's your first feature? And I had I had a couple vehicles with like false starts that I just couldn't quite get off the ground. I thought maybe I'd make something for like, you know, ten thousand dollars and do it duplass brother style, like shoot it all in a house or something, you know, and go yeah. for like 
but I couldn't quite find the right story or the right idea to, to fit that mold. And I think, you know, in terms of, you know, when you're, I think it always comes down to what story do you want to tell first, and then you figure out how to do it, right? I don't really believe that you should like try to make a movie for like a certain amount. I think you just got to figure out what story you're trying to tell and then the budget stuff falls around. But I was trying to figure out what that could be and I, I didn't have a story that was sticking. Then Lawman comes around and I'm kind of getting asked the same questions. What's your first movie? And I was struggling to really commit to something. I did have a, a script that somebody offered me actually um, that I was really close to doing. It was going to be like a 500K budget. Like let's go do this home invasion thriller. But you know, it was tough because it was written by someone else and the writers didn't want to change it. Hmm. Um, they didn't want to change a word. And so I realized that if I was going to do this one, it was going to be my first feature that all, you know, everything was building towards this. Hmm. It was going to be a movie that really I was just a hired gun, you know, hitting the record button. And so I just decided to myself, I said, if I want to make something that is fully my own point of view, you know, I don't want to sound pretend to say my voice, but you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if I want it to be that if I want it to be a film that I really like want to put, you know, my sign my name to for the rest of my life, I'm going to have to write it. You know, it's kind of like a thing where it's like, you're going to have to write the screenplay yourself because it's hard to get people to write for you when you're, you know, a director at, you know, a certain level when you're just like a couple of years out of film school. Cause someone yeah. has really, they're probably going to keep it for themselves or sell it to, to the big guns. So, for but me, you did have reps at this point, like you know, the short circuit, the short circuit, the shorts had gotten you to, you know, manager or agent or anything like that, or were you still kind of where you where were? No, no, I had meetings, I had interest, but it yeah. was a lot of like you know, and and I think when you again when you're starting out, you know, there's a lot of like, okay, what do you have next? What's next on your, you know, they yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, 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 yes. I don't blame them. I mean, all I had made was a couple, you know, at the first time around one short, and you know. There was like one that was kind of hip hopping me for a short time, which basically means they're yeah. not really representing yeah. you. So yeah. for me, you know, it was kind of like a, a revolving door thing where it was like, yeah, keep in touch. But I was never, no, I wasn't officially signed during uh, either of those shorts or through the whole making of American Murderer, actually, which surprised me. So tell, yeah. So, so tell me about making American Murderer as a short. And then the, tell me, you decided I got to write something. This is what yeah. you decide. I got to write something. And so it was like, you know, I want to say late 2017, early 2018, I was making my living mostly just shooting branded content stuff and occasionally commercials, things like that were coming my way. And I was hustling to get them and all that. And so one day I was storyboarding and whenever I storyboard, it was for a dentistry commercial. I always had the TV on in the background and the face of Jason Derrick Brown, main character of American Murder, popped on my television and I saw that he was still missing. I just turned the volume up look at I couldn't believe it and I had known about Jason Derrick Brown since I was 14 years old because before I wanted to be a filmmaker I wanted to be a fed <laughs> and, I used to- <laughs> and I would look up the top 10 fugitives to help them catch them and I'd seen Jason's face all the way back then so it kind of came rushing back you know the kinds of movies I loved growing up were like films like Dog the Afternoon and The Godfather and like Goodfellas and films about anti-heroes and or film noir, I, you know, noir alley was my thing. So I, I loved like films of, with gray morality at best. You know, when the story popped back, it kind of just completely overtook me. I just became obsessed with Jason and this case and these people who knew him and who loved him and who he deceived. And, you know, just the story really spoke to me on a gut level. And I just decided I was, at first, I was like, well, this is a film I have to make. I have to tell this story. 
but I didn't know necessarily that it could be my first feature. Like I was thinking that, but I was like, well, just this is the story I want to tell about this guy and his web, his crime, his life, you know, fashion and that kind of those movies I grew up on. Yeah. And I thought at first, I was like, well, maybe this is going to be too ambitious for a first movie. And I was probably right. <laughs> but, you know, I just said, I'm going to write it as a script, do it on spec and see what I can, what I can do. A feature script. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, I wrote the feature, the first draft, thinking like, as I started writing it, I researched it for six months before I even wrote a page. So I really like did deep dive, like fashioned after my hero, Michael Mann, like going and talking to people, interviewing people and all that. And like, then I spent six months researching. I was like, okay, this is great, but I haven't written a page. Like I'm the I'm number one authority on Jason Derrick Brown now, but I've not written, I have no pages to show for it. So you have to yeah. actually write. And so I started writing the script. And as I wrote it, I realized, oh no, this has to be the first feature that I make. Like there's yeah. no, you know, and I think, you know, again, everyone's different. I'm not in a position necessarily to give advice, but I think that, you know, when it comes to making a first movie, an independent film, like everyone knows, you know, and your whole podcast and site is about this. Like, it's so damn hard to get an independent, yeah. like the amount of hoops you have to jump through that I think what like, keeps you going is this, especially when it's your first movie, it's this spirit that is like, at least from the directors I've talked to, whether it's mentors or friends of mine who have also gotten their first movies made, yeah. it's always just like, dude, we had no other choice. We had to make this movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. what keeps you going through all of the, false starts and stops the funding falling through three times you know uh, all the, the stories you hear yes. of like you know that happened to me that happened to everyone i know and so you know like every like everyone's movie i'm like friends are, i have like three friends that movies come out this year some of which were extremely successful and they all were like like mine five or six years like in the making it's just it, it takes forever you know it's really really challenging and um, so it was five or six years from the beginning of that research process I would say, yeah. I mean, I, I officially would say I started the project in 2018. So maybe not, five. maybe for me it was four, four to five. Wow. It's still um, a long, long haul commitment. So when you finish the script, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How did you feel like, okay, it's done. The script is ready. Like, how did you know? Did you get people to read it? Did you have like a, you know, did you, you know, and and did you think I need to make a a sizzle or a short to sell this concept? Exactly. So here, here was kind of the journey. So I, I wrote, I read the first draft of the script. I think it's amazing. I learned very quickly. It's not. (laughs) Uh, I started doing rewrites on it, you know, well, now like I'm going through that kind of on my own, kicking it around, and it gets getting better and better and better. And even though the first drafts aren't amazing, I know from even the feedback I'm getting, I'm like, this is a cool movie and a cool story. So stick with this one. Because before this script, I would write a lot of scripts, but I would kind of like maybe start 20 pages and then be like, ah, there's nothing. This one was yeah. the first one I like really got through to the end and was like, okay, I have a movie I want to make, right? And now, as I write a lot and I write for hire sometimes too. Well, when you write for hire, you have no choice. But even writing on spec, my rule is always you got to finish where you start. And I think that's a yeah. great rule to adapt early, which I didn't. I definitely kicked around scripts for a while. But, eh, you know, 
come back to it later. But I think finishing what you start always, even if it's bad, just finish it is a good mantra. But anyway, so American Murder, I, I finished this, you know, I finish a draft, I do another draft, another draft. I had an actor in mind at the time for the lead who didn't end up playing the role, but he was a great actor, Jonathan Groff. Um, and I'd known him because going back a little bit in my bio, before I went to AFI, my first job out of college was I worked at William Morris Endeavor in the mailroom of the talent agency. Really? And uh, Yeah, I was a floater, a floating assistant, as they call it. And then I got promoted to the talent department. So I worked for a top talent, a woman who's now a really top talent agent named Danny Streisand. This is her, her client list was of unfamous actors at the time. At the time, new, her new signs were Julia Garner, Timothy Chalamet, right? And they were, <laughs> they were kids when they were on the desk. They were very nice and, you know, just starting out. It was, you know, Timothy Chalamet was a high schooler out of LaGuardia. Julia Garner was like pretty, you know, a little older than them, but not much. Like, and so I was really, it was a really cool place to be for, you know, I was 22 at the time, just, you know, watching her, you know, make deals, make careers happen and build them. But when I was in the mailroom, there was a great task where you got to tape auditions. So the other floaters hated taping. So it was very high stakes. And they were like, well, you know, what, what is this? I just want to be on the desk. But for me, I love taping auditions because I got to see actors work. And yeah. so I became the taping man. I would always tape the actors when they came in to the point where they started asking me for feedback. So I didn't even realize it, but I was kind of practice directing, you know, working with... Mm. So Jonathan Groff would come in a lot. He was amazing. You know, he was always so good on his tapes. And, but he would ask me things and, he, and he's just the nicest guy. So we really clicked and we stayed in touch over the years. And finally, with this script, I you know, was kicking it around and I said, he'd be perfect for it. So I talked to him about it and uh, I pitch it to him. He says, you know, I'm, you know, he was shooting this first season of Mindhunter at the time. <laughs> he goes, I'm really busy, but send it to me. I'd love to read it. And if, you know, he was, he sounds like a really cool character and like, sounds like you're, you know, he'd seen my shorts. He was like, these all, this all sounds great. Let me, uh, I'll read it and I'll take a look and, you know, we'll, we'll go from there. And very nice and very polite. And so I send it to him and I don't hear from him for like five weeks. So I'm like, okay, he, he doesn't want to do it or it's terrible. And it's, you know, not good. But then he calls me back and he says, Hey, I, I finally read it um, over the weekend. I love it. I want to do it. And so he was really um, excited about doing it. You know, his ages weren't as much. But, <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, we were then once he was kind of like informally attached, I was kind of kicking around again now at this new lens. But keep in mind at the time, like mine under hadn't really hit yet. And like, so things were kind of like slowly coming together with it. And then finally, I was kind of like with him, though, I had some more, I was getting more meetings off of it and whatnot. I go to a meeting, I'm pitching to these guys, the movie. I won't say the company, but it was like a pretty, you know, for me, it's definitely a reputable company. Yeah. At the time. It did some independent films, did some TV and I'm pitching to them and I'm not that experienced with a pitcher, but you know, I'm pr- I think I'm doing a decent job and the guys seem interested. They're like, great. Well, you know, just send us the script and we look forward to reading it. And so I'm leaving the meeting, walk into the elevator and this guy runs out. He comes in and he goes, Hey, Hey man, the young guy who like worked at the company he goes, I just want to say, I really liked your, um, your shorts. I saw a lawman from it. I'm like, Oh, thank you. He goes, yeah. He goes, and uh, I really like, I thought you did a good job pitching. Um, you know, I was like, oh, thanks. That's great. He goes, I'm just scared for you because I don't think those guys are going to actually read your script. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah. He goes, dude, they always, like, they have people come in, they, they pitch. They don't really read them unless they really feel like they're going to do it. You know, I think you got to like compel them a little more. And I'm like, taken aback by this guy. I'm like, okay, what, what, do, well, what do I need to do? And he goes, 
I think you need to go shoot a proof of concept short and of the movie. And I kind of was, I was a little arrogant at the time. I was like, well, why? Like I, I have two shorts that, you know, did really well. Like people love them. Why am I, why do I have to go make a? No, it's always it's always hard to be told like you got to go do more free work. By the way, right. <laughs> like, like nobody wants to hear that, right? Yeah, I'm just like I'm like why though? I'm like yeah, exactly. I'm like I'm like why do I have to do another short? Like I'm, so, what he said to me was, you know, yes, your shorts are great. Yes, they prove that you can direct, but they don't prove that you can direct this. So go shoot a scene from the movie. Don't do the same like because you know the American Murder Proof of Concept short. I should say. For those who've seen it, it is now available on the special features on the Blu-ray and the iTunes. But the American Murder Proof of Concept short isn't really a short like the other ones, in that it's not telling a full story. It's just right. one scene from the film. It's the SWAT invasion. You know, we picked something really easy, and then we did it all kind of in one take, and we shot it. You know, it's a four and a half minute thing, just to really give the potential reader or buyer or producer of the script that I was at the time trying to attract a sense of what the movie felt and yeah. doing that with Jonathan, you know, who at the time now was about to show takeoff really was kind of a, a series of good luck, good timing, good luck. Yeah. And that people like the short, because once that short was finished, then I started having a lot of people reaching out to me because I put it on IMDb that Jonathan's in this thing. And then all of a sudden producers and, and people were kind of pitching me. Some people were interested in the scripts, read it, and then actually wanted it without me directing it. Um, so, yeah. I, which is a good problem to have, but not something you necessarily want when you're trying to direct your film. And then was it hard to say no to that? Was it a tough? Ch- was it hard to be like, uh, like I think a lot of people would feel compelled to be like, sure, it's a chance, was, right? There were, I was there was there was a dark night of the soul moment because you know <laughs> I was really broke and it was like there was you know it wasn't great money, but it was like it was you know it was like optioning. It was like, you know it was, it was a small fee that would have you know helped, but. It wasn't though at the end. I mean, it felt like it, but I saw it as a. I saw it as a good problem to have because I was like, well, people like my script enough to buy it, so that's 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 step. You know, that wasn't the case twelve six months ago. Sure. So that way, and I said to myself, but I had to, you know, and again, I think we talked about it. It's like that faith you have to have when you're making your first movie that this is going to happen. You know, it's like yeah. I knew I was. I, I was like, I have to direct this thing. I can't really give it over. And now as I write some other scripts in my career, I, I, I don't have that same thing. But with this movie specifically, it was like, it has to be the first one that I do. Yeah. And that's what I'm writing. So it wasn't that hard of a decision, you know? It yeah. just, it was a little tough at the time. Just like when I said no, was, there was definitely a, in the parking lot, are you sure a moment? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I felt pretty, pretty strong about it. Sure enough, you know, off the proof of concept, kind of getting around and people passing it around. These two companies converged on me at the same time, Traveling Picture Show and GG Films. Um, that was Kevin Mattisau, Chris Buffell in Traveling Picture Show, and Gia Walsh in GG Films. And they kind of both were on to me, mainly because of my shorts, I think. And then they heard about this one. And so they asked to read the script. They came on board. And those two companies together optioned the script for me. And uh, we began a year of development um, where, you know, they were, I was. Yeah, it was my first professional writing job for real, where I was, you know, on my own script, getting paid to do rewrites and, and, and taking notes and feedback and all of that and getting it ready to go out for casting. And we get through that year-long development process and we begin casting it in March of 2020. So right at the beginning of the pandemic, <laughs> the world shuts down. And, you know, at first it looked like, you know, oh my God, like when, you know, what's going to happen with the world, you know, forget our movie, right? Like what is, 
where's the planet right now? And, and, but again, it was one of these things where I just was like, I think, I feel like we're going to film this year. I don't know why. I just feel like we are. So I had the fortune of, you know, my editor, Matt Allen, who's now on this show with us and <laughs> her Khalila Robinson, you know, and my, my other editor, our other editor, Chris Young, who worked on the script with me a lot, helps us come back with my script editor, my brother, Scott Gentile, the composer, they were all kind of involved and in the loop on this thing. And so we kind of like, you know, having nowhere to go and just being on our computers on Zoom, we put our heads down and we just said, okay, let's prep this movie like it's going out. And, you know, while we were making offers on actors and all that. And so Matt and yeah. I were doing pre-visualization in his apartment, you nice. know, Khalil and I would be storyboarding and, you know, my brother would be coming up with ideas. So it just was, we were kind of like flowing this around and then, you know, summer 2020, we had some casting luck because Tom Pelfrey said yes to that project. And then came Ryan Phillippe and then came everybody else. And it was, we shot that winter, December 2020 to early 2021. So it was kind of a, you know, it's one of those hurry up and wait, you know, lots of false starts. Is this going to happen? When's it going to happen? And then finally, even like, with the, even with the, the heart of the pandemic, right? That's pretty it, crazy. Yeah. It didn't shut you down completely. Since Matt's here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about just what kinds of creative, you know, with the time we have compromises and decisions you have to make when you're dealing with, I think this is such a common thing. Once you get to the first feature for a filmmaker, like there's for everyone, there's limitations, right. And compromises, but I guess in your case, how did you pick your battles? How did you prioritize and, and how many things were just like, we're just gonna have to make the best of what we've got here. Like, you know, because, you know, you're, you, you only get so many features, first features, right? You get one. So like, so how do you approach, how did you approach limitations and constraints and compromise? Well, I would, uh, I would really say that Matthew was very open to this idea of pre-vising. I think that was kind of our way of knowing what we could compromise and what we couldn't. Because a lot of it is, I mean, I think a big compromise is Matthew had a very ambitious script. And because of that, you can only be in location like once. So I couldn't really call him while he's shooting and go, hey, I'd really love this or I'd really love this. Like, that's it. Like, we knew that he was at that location and he was going to get whatever he's going to get and that was going to be it. So you don't have that luxury of going back. We did do some second unit photography that was really critical in terms of kind of doing some of the car chase and helicopter things that were shot later on in the film to kind of create a little bit of a chase sequence that was some second unit, but there was nothing with yeah. principal actors. Like once all those principal act actors wrapped, that was it. We're never going back to the same look. We're never going never back to the same again. location. Yeah. Then. So <laughs> I think what we tried to do is, you know, I know he's going to get what he's going to get. He's very prepared. Clear cinematographer is really awesome. We had a great first AD, really great producers putting us in good situations and really great actors. But I think this idea of pre-visiting, spending a lot of time together talking about the edit and working together and all these pre-conversations before shooting were really, really important because we were on the same page and Matthew got to try out a lot of things. Like he would whittle down a shot list or he would change his shot list and, you know, he would still change his shot list on the day and some things he kept from what he planned and some things he would change. But I think he wasn't, Matthew went in with very much a plan. Like he had a plan. And he was going to get whatever he's going to get, but he really planned it out. He wasn't like, I'm going to figure it out. Like, I know what I want. And I think that's a really cool thing about him as a filmmaker, but also I think really important for any first timers. Like, you don't really usually have the resources, the time to kind of like figure it out on the day or like 
try tons of options or try it tons of different ways. So like he well covered things. Like I didn't feel like a lot of times like, oh, I don't have the, you know, the coverage or the footage for these things because we had talked about it. So, you know, sometimes it changes because of location or the actors do something cool or he wants to do something different with the blocking. But Matthew would always say is like, be prepared to be flexible. But that prepared part was underlined in red. (laughs) What was the previs like? Like, what did you guys do for previs? How did you previs? So what previs for us, uh, I got the idea of being an assistant editor before working on American Murder, I had done a lot of assisting on big feature films. Uh, one of the big ones I had really saw previs utilized really well was Disney's Christopher Robin. I was an assistant editor on that film. And for these, you'd have these you know, animated Winnie the Pooh, Tigger, Piglet, and they would sit around and they would have like a full digital stage and then have the characters talking and different things before they'd actually go shoot and have them interact with Ewan McGregor, who was the real live actor. And so I'm like, how do you do that without spending millions of dollars? Because it's Disney. They have million do- millions of dollars to do this. How do we do this on a low-budget indie level? So I kind of taught myself this program called Shot Pro, which if anyone's out there listening, I highly recommend. It's I'm not paid by them at all, so this is a pure organic. <laughs> this, no, this is awesome to get a tip of like, this is the tool I we used to do it on the budget, on the cheap. Yeah, so basically we're in the height of the pandemic. You know, it's really hot in Los Angeles. We're sitting in my apartment and Matthew, I, Matthew <laughs> and I are just sitting there and I'm able to give him a virtual stage and we're able to do virtual blocking. We're able to do virtual camera moves and then we're, then we're able to like virtually cut a scene together and do some temp music and things. But he's able to like, direct. He's actually able to sit there and direct and try things out. And I'm able to be part of that process as well, because I think a hard thing as an editor sometimes is we're reactive. We're waiting to get footage in and having that tool and be able, being able to create things with him. It felt like, oh, I'm not reactive anymore. I'm being proactive. He's going to make changes. He's going to do stuff. And you want the actors to breathe life into things. And he's going to do amazing things with our cinematographer and a production designer all on the set. But at least there's like a starting point. And at least as an editor, you're kind of, you know, not just reading a script and maybe giving little notes on the side of like, maybe it would be good to have an insert here, or maybe it'd be good to do this. Like you're actually able to, I feel like contribute more. And that's honestly, when you talk to these really big editors that are working on these really high budget, like Star Wars, you know, Jurassic World, like they're doing this at a very high level, but that's like a hundred million dollar level where they're like basically previsiting, storyboarding the whole movie and cutting it all once. And then they go shoot it and they're doing it all again. So why not try to do that on a lower budget level? Because that's how they're getting their stories right. You know, Pixar is doing kind of the same thing. And Matthew and I would go on walks in Los Feliz and he would talk to me a lot about kind of the Pixar method. And we were kind of trying to do that a little bit of like, how do you able to work this story well in a script phase, but also before you even shoot it well, because you don't, you just can't go back. Like you're not, a, yeah, you, don't, you, don't, Matthew, you don't get to go and have 50 days shooting your first indie feature film. When you were doing this process, Matthew, were there things where you were like, oh, I'm discovering how I'm going to shoot this. And it's completely changing my, like now I have an, a different way of shooting this than I thought I did. And then you, when you get there, I imagine sometimes they're like, oh, I can't do what I thought I was going to do anymore. Absolutely. You know, part of what was so cool about it is Matt, you know, he's being a little modest, but he actually got this program and all this stuff because he won this award, the Sason Brennan Fellowship, which nice. was founded by, who was it founded by? So basically it's the 
Ace, Eric Zambrenin Fellowship. So Eric Zambrenin was Spike Jones's editor. And he did yes. her. He did all the Spike Jones films, being John Malkovich. And unfortunately, he passed away because of cancer at a very early age. And so Spike, uh, his wife, Suzanne, uh, his current editor now, Jeff Buchanan, all these people, all his collaborators came together and made this awesome uh, fellowship with the American Cinema Editors, which I encourage people to apply to. But basically, they're looking for someone who's like early on in their career, assistant editor working towards becoming an editor. And they give you mentorship and they give you resources and ends with places. We had Avid's kind of sponsored us and gave me a free, so cool. like gave me a free license. Adobe like kicked in with different things. We had picks. So like I was sharing cuts with Matthew on picks. So we're getting all yeah. the nice tools that normally you maybe couldn't afford on a first feature. Or you're kind of having to pay out of pocket, but they were very happy to do it. And they were really excited when I was like, called them a year later and they're like, Hey, Avid, hey, Pix, hey, all these places, we cut our first feature. And they're like, this is awesome. This is like even better than we could have yeah, thought for the resources. That is awesome. We've worked with a lot of those companies <laughs> at No Film School, and they're always hoping that young filmmakers are going to use their tools. They want them to use their tools and show what they can do with them. Yeah. And yeah, it makes perfect sense. And they were incredible. And so, you know, Matt came to me with this idea for Previz, which at first I was a little skeptical. You know, I just, I, 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 I've always storyboarded and I always believe in the power of it. I love the two thoughts of schools of thought on storyboarding. Like everyone from Werner Herzog to storyboards are from the cowards. <laughs> and you, know, <laughs> you know, Scorsese who talks about storyboarding is like, I storyboard every frame, every, every shot. And so yeah. I, I love the two differing like philosophies on it. I believe in storyboarding, but I also think there is a part of you and Matt's touched on this, which you get to set and you kind of do have to throw it out in a weird way right? Like you have to adapt. You have to adapt to what's actually happening. Because I think there's a danger in storyboarding things so closely and then sticking to that and saying like, I can't see outside of this because I'm not seeing what the actors are bringing, you know? And in the case of our movie, like, yes, I storyboarded, you know, every scene I drew out every cut. And we, we pre-visualized, I'd say six major sequences. So not the whole entire film, but like, you know, six like major, we call them set pieces. So things like that were really complex, like the murder sequence, you know, which is an armored truck heist, right? So, mm. you know, the bar you set for yourself when you go and shoot a scene like that is, all right, you want, you want this to be the bank robbery and heat. Well, you don't have the time or the money for them to do the bank robbery for me. Michael Mann had four weeks and he shot LA down. He shut LA down, right? Downtown LA was yeah. locked off. He could do that yeah. because Michael Mann at the you know, height of his career. You know, in our case, our first movie, we have no money, we have no time, we're filming in 18 degree Utah, and we've only got a day <laughs> for that movie theater. <laughs> so, you know, in one day, what can you do? Well, yeah, you could only film it in that time, but if you have a really good plan, again, you're changing, you're adapting, but you have it set out. And for things like action and geography, where that all that's really important, that's where the pre-visualization to me and Matt, I think, was the most essential. I actually think without it, we would have been totally screwed because... Probably, yeah. It just was so much to figure out and we didn't have time. You know, I mean, we also shot like a SWAT invasion in the film and we have a tackle and we have like a lot of moving parts. And then there are a lot of scenes that are, you know, two people talking, you know, so, but like the scene, there's a big long scene between Tom and Jackie Weaver where they're just talking in a living room. That that wasn't too, uh, you know, we didn't previous that, right? <laughs> like I drew out the storyboards and then I changed them when the blocking changed. But, you know, I always think it's good for me at least to go into a scene with a conscious design. Yeah. 
you know, and I've learned that from watching old interviews with Hitchcock where he used to say that, right? It's like you go in knowing like what you want, but then that can be improved ideally is improved upon by your yeah. libraries. Your cinematographer sees a better shot. Your production designer says, Yeah, I know you wanted these kinds of window shades, but those are better, right? And you know, yeah. I'm lucky to have people that do elevate me. But with previs, at first I was a little skeptical, just so I didn't know a lot about it. And these movies Matt was talking about where they did, I was like, I understand why Crystal Robin or these comic book movies would do it, but does our movie really need that? But Matt really showed me and what was really special about it, just sitting in his living room, like he was able to build sets from what we actually took, you know, because this is a true crime film. So there's a lot of real locations where things actually took place. So Matt was able mm. to build the movie theater in 3D and then mm. put in a truck and roam a camera and try on different lenses and really figure out like how we wanted this to look and feel and cut together. And it was Even just- Even down to the lenses. That's pretty cool. That gives you yeah. a lot of information. It really does. You know, you could really, you can get very granular and then, you know, you can jump back, right? But it's sort of like, you just get to really go in deep. And then when you get there, it does change, right? Because the movie theater, we end it. But it also helps you know what to look for. Like when you go on a tech scout, you know, or just a, a preliminary scout. Right. All right, I need a movie theater. Like I, I need one. All right, it may not be exactly like that theater where it happened in Phoenix because I'm filming in Salt Lake City and theaters aren't built the same way, you know, as they were sure. 15 years ago. But, you know, you can find, okay, I need a long alleyway. I need a row of posters. I need this and that there. And, you know, you just kind of like, it helps you, I think. The more I think you have, and I did this all the way. It wasn't just previous too. like every, um, there's a great exercise at AFI, this director, mentor of mine, Brian Danley, who he used to give us, this is called director breakdowns, where it's like a, a survey sheet on like, you know, standard eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. You fill it out, like it's, but it's like horizontal and you fill it out. And it's like every detail you can think of, you put it for your movie, hmm. like across departments. So it's like, what's the look of the scene? What's the color? What's the feel? What's the mood? What's the subtext of this character? What's the subject? Like, what's the background actor? What are they wearing? You know, what are the, you know, and, and you just fill it out. And it's kind of like at first feels like an intellectual exercise. But what it does is, you know, and you get this all the way down to wardrobe, hair, makeup, you know, so just, just so you're going in thinking about so I think a lot of yeah. filmmakers, and I know this from especially my early shorts, like I would kind of go in thinking like I knew how to shoot it, so that would be enough. And something that, you know, especially as we go on and make our next movie and the movie after is you, know, you realize as a filmmaker how many elements you have <laughs> to work with. Yeah. Like as a director, you have so much. You have so many critical choices that, that you have to make. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you can tell when people don't put thought into, you know, these things and so i think it's it's good to go in with as much as you can and then let it grow and prosper from your collaboration. yeah and also i think to speak to matthew too he was so prepared and i think what was great about that prep is it kind of allowed him to play with i think what was his what we call our special effects like we do have some like car chases and set pieces in the film but the thing we would always refer to and i think this will be true for probably our, our whole career, because Matthew's very much a actor's directors, the ultimate special effect is what an actor can do. It's like a look or, you know, how a piece of dialogue is learned. That's a special effect. That's really what can move people and why I think we're interested in cinema. I mean, yes, it's interesting to see like all these other, you know, grand scope things, but I think it's that individual personal story that's most important. And I think by Matthew doing all of that, 
work ahead of time and me helping him do some of that work ahead of time, it allows him to focus on what's most important is like capturing that special effect on set and capturing that magic that only the actors can bring. That's really well put. And, and you guys definitely pulled it off. It's crazy to think of what you did given the time constraints, the budget constraints, and you know using the performers you had. But uh, the previous stuff is is great and such a such a really valuable tool for filmmakers at any level to understand that they can use that it's not just limited to the top people. I really want to thank you guys for coming on. It's been great. I really appreciate it. And uh, congrats on the film. And you know, be sure to come back on the next one and 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 let me know when it's out so we can so I can have you again. We can talk about that, George. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, such a great. Of course. Anytime, guys. Uh, No film school is a good (laughs) call. So thank you. Thank you. Well, I mean, it's always cool to see filmmakers who, like both of you, who are just popping through with like their first features and stuff like that and say like, yeah, you know, I'm familiar with no film school or I've listened to it or I've watched it or whatever. And then that, that, that process keeps going. So it's, it's why we do it, you know? (laughs) Thanks so much guys. Thank you, George. Thanks Matthew for coming on. Thanks everyone for listening. It was Really fun to hear another one of these kinds of stories. There aren't a ton of them, but somebody who goes right from shorts to features and gets this kind of attention and these kinds of names attached. To learn more about filmmaking, news, tech, and education, head over to nofilmschool.com. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe to this podcast. Leave a comment and let us know what you think. Email us your questions editor at nofilmschool.com and we usually answer them on our weekly roundup show which releases on Thursdays or Fridays sometimes. These interviews usually release on Tuesdays, sometimes Wednesdays. So be on the lookout wherever you get your podcasts for all kinds of fun No Film School podcast stuff. And if you really are enjoying this holiday season of movies and award shows, we've got a number of interviews with the filmmakers behind Banshees of Inishirin and Tar, including Todd Field, writer-director, and much more coming, or uh, writer of Fablemans, Tony Kushner. So a lot of big names, a lot of exciting movies. It's that time of year. So, you know, as you're traveling with your family or whatever you're doing, listen to some of the greatest people working today. Thanks so much for listening.